one on. If I didn't figure this one out, I'd be in trouble, wouldn't I? Oh, welcome everybody. Of course, he said we have these nice little sheets that you can fill out, put stuff on, take your notes, and they're nice and thick. And I found out they also, either before or after, they make great little airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> so you can either put your notes on it before or after. I'd like to welcome everybody here this morning. I know we're having a great Father's Day. I got a special present yesterday. I got taken to the circus. That was just absolutely awesome. I mean, it's been years since I've been to the circus and uh, got taken to the circus. It's a big surprise and had a great time. I know saw a couple of you others here too, and I know you had a great time also. wasn't quite the circus I remember as a child, but still, it was a circus. And the kids, I mean, I have to admit, my granddaughter, Kaylin, she was sitting there just laughing up a storm, having a great time. I was, helped me have a great time too also. So then had my other grandkids around me, and oh, we just had a great time. So I wanted to speak a little bit of thinking about this, and God had given me this message a while ago, and I started working on it in earnest yesterday, and God kind of changed a little, a few things up, and redid things, and it says, the title, of course, is God Fulfills His Oaths and Promises. It's Father's Day. Hmm. Actually, I think the two go together. So we know that God does. Do we? As a father myself, I have to admit, and there were times in the past which I did not fulfill my oaths and promises. Because that's part of life. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Sometimes I did with great vigor, and other times I didn't. So I'm human. I kind of move in my own little humanness and do good most times and not so good in other times and then try to do good, try not to. So I thought I'd get a few little examples out of our word, Holy Bible, that you can follow along with if you like to give a few examples about this. First off, we have a nation that kind of didn't do what it was supposed to and follow. So judges... Second chapter, 6 through 11. And again, if I seem to be knowing my Bible frontwards and backwards, even though I memorized it a lot of years ago, as far as the books, still can't remember them the older I get. And I have these nice little tabs. Doug, you gotta try tabs, they're great. They're absolutely great. You find things real fast, think, think you're so smart until you tell them you're using tabs. But then that's okay too. Then you're smart enough to use tabs. All right, Judges 2, verses 6 through 11. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Isn't that great? They followed God because they had seen it and they had great leaders. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Wow. 
I want to beat his record. And they buried him in the land of inheritance at Tamar Harris in the hill country of Ephraim north of Mount Gash. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up neither who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. So they forgot the promises of God as a nation. And so they didn't quite do what they were supposed to do. They forgot. And they didn't have strong leaders, so they went back and did what they used to do back in the olden days and serve the Baals. And they just they fell apart. They didn't have good leadership. And they forgot the promises of God. And then we have good intentions versus bad intentions. A lot of times we have very, very good intentions, but they don't quite measure up to what God exactly wants us to do. And we're not really fulfilling our promises, even with the good intentions. I know all of you are thinking in your brain, oh, these have good intentions, and I can think of a lot of them. Like I can think of a lot of them myself, but I'd rather not say but they're good intentions. But sometimes they just don't come out right. If we look at 1 Samuel 13, 17, 7 through 14, we talk about Saul. Saul had good intentions. He was the first king of Israel. He really had good intentions. Did he always do good? Well, let's find out. And make sure I get the right one, 13. I like your idea of big print, especially when I'm trying to find these things. Even though the tabs help, I'm kind of like, oh, small print. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gial. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Now, he thought he did a good thing. He had good intentions. Was it the thing he was supposed to do? If we know earlier, we know he was told to wait on Samuel. But he saw his people scattering, and he started getting scared, and his mind going, if I don't do something real quick, they're all going to leave me. Something's going to happen. So he jumps out there and does something with good intentions. And Samuel comes to him. He just runs out to Samuel and says, See the good thing I've done? What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the same time, in other words, it's your fault that the Philistines were assembling in Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I will not have sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to do the burnt offering. Samuel, by that time, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Saul didn't realize what he lost with his good intentions. He lost to have the Messiah in his line. Everything would have been totally different. 
the Messiah would have been in Saul's line, not David's. Good intentions, sometimes they lead us down the wrong road. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Good intentions. He, had, he was not doing a bad thing, he thought. Turned out to be a bad thing, but he thought he was good intentions. Then we talk about David, a man after God's own heart. It says right here, a man after God's own heart. But all of us know the many, many stories about David, his successes and his failures. Did David have good intentions? Yes. He was a man after God's own heart. He had great intentions. Did they always come out the way they should? No. And then let's look at Peter. Go to the New Testament. Luke 22, 54 through 62. Some of you are already way ahead of me on this one. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with you. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. At this point, he knew that his good intentions of keeping the movement alive was not going to work. He had denied Christ because he thought, well, if I can stay alive, I can keep the others going and we can keep our movement going. That's not what God wanted. Sounded good in his own mind. But was it the thing to do? Who can we trust? Who fulfills his oaths, his promises? Well, you already know the title. God does. Let's look a little bit about God because we want to make sure that we understand and the Bible has several references to the integrity of God. Never once do you see I'm not even sure if it's a word disintegrity non-integrity of the Lord God. Let's go to Genesis 22 13 through 17. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and only have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. 
Hmm. He swears by himself. Is there any higher? And he tells us, don't swear by God, because are you God that you can swear by God? No. Only God can swear by himself, because he knows himself. He knows his... He's not going to lie. He's not going to back up. Everything is totally true. And along with that same one, if you go to the New Testament, Hebrews 6, 13 through 14... This is where if you brought just the New Testament, you're in trouble. <laughs> you need to have the whole Bible with you because we jump back and forth. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Some of the people think there's a difference between the New Testament and Old Testament. God, there's not. Same God, same promises, same way he acts toward us. And the other thing, when he promised Abraham that his children be numerous as the stars, was he talking just about the Israelites or even whereas um, Ishmael and his children, which were part of Abraham's children, was he talking just about them? Or was he also looking into the future and talking about us as his children, his spiritual children? Then in Hebrews six thirteen through 14... When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Abraham saw it. it took him a while. We're not saying God specifically tested him but he knew he, God had his own timeline. Abraham did not know God's timeline. We know that he tried to do things in his own right. Didn't quite work out the way he thought it would be, but God incorporated that into his promise for him. The other thing, God doesn't lie. Do we lie? Mm, yeah, unfortunately. White lies, black lies, anything in between, little gray truce, untruce. Um, how are you feeling today? Uh, I'm feeling okay. When maybe you're really not. Is that a lie? Mm, you're just not wanting to explain everything. And maybe God wants you to because that person can now do something good for you and help bless you. Oh, that's a good intention. Did it turn out to be a good intention? Not really. Let's go to Numbers 23, verses 19. Yet we are human who lie, but we know that God does not lie. 23 verse 19. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So we're looking at human nature, which we do, and the way we use duplicitous ideas and speaking versus what God does. So we know that God doesn't lie. Again, if we go back to Hebrews 6, 18, 16 through 18, what you're actually looking at 
is the author of Hebrews going back saying, this is the Old Testament. This is what was said. This is now part of the new covenant. It's still the same thing. It's not a division for it. Hebrews is one of the most neat books if you want to tie the Old Testament to the New Testament. It'll actually help you tie a lot of that together. And of course, Jesus quoted scripture all the time from what we consider the Old Testament. Okay, Hebrews 6, 16 through 18. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of this hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. If anything you take out of this, the idea that God doesn't lie should give us great encouragement in this life. Because now, God doesn't lie. We know that. So now it gives us encouragement. So now when he gives us oaths and promises to us, we know that he will fulfill them. So God fulfills his oaths. No matter if they're given to a 16-year-old or a 60-year-old or an 80-year-old, God fulfills his oath. In Luke 1, 69 through 75, Zechariah's song. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Should have been Saul, but it wasn't. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Because we know if he is true, we can serve him without reservation. Because sometimes you have other people, your bosses or whatever, and you don't think they're telling you exactly this, the right thing. Sometimes they're telling you something a little bit different or they're treating you a little different. So you have reservations about serving them. Serving God who tells the truth is, should be easier. You shouldn't have to worry about what your bosses do or how other people that you interact with in this life. Again, we go back to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20 through 22. Like I say, Hebrews ties everything between the Old Testament and the New Testament together. I think it's just one of the better chapters in the New Testament of how it brings things together. And it was not without an oath 
Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest when an oath, when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. God will not change his mind. So if he tells you something, he is not going to change his mind. He's not going to be wishy-washy. Everybody knows wishy-washy. Some of us are, make it a point to be very wishy-washy so nobody can pin us down. Mmm. Did I step on a few toes there? We won't go there. <laughs> My kids are looking at me laughing, so they know. Sometimes you have to be that way as a parent. Yeah. Do you want to do it? Well, let me think about it. Let me maybe, I don't, I don't know. We'll talk about it later. God says, no, I'm going to tell you it's either going to be yes or it's going to be no. It's not going to be in between. And God fulfills his oaths. What are our promises? Now we come to the four main things that should affect everybody that God has given us. And I'm kind of using part of this, so if I had the kids in here, they would actually understand exactly what I was talking about. Four cardinal doctrines of the church. The four red points in our World Ranger emblem. We talk about this every single week. These are the main promises for us. They're not specific because God will give you specific promises for your life. He will tell you things through others or even talk to you himself and tell you certain things. Some of you have actually heard the voice of God. It's an awesome thing to hear the voice of God. Some of you have had other people through the Holy Spirit tell you things that God wants. They're promises. They're things that you keep going on in life. Keeps us going. But remember, God always fulfills His promises. The first major promise is salvation. Can anybody tell me what chapter and verse I'm going to book? Come on, everybody should know this one. Pardon? Yes, John 3. Actually, it's 15 through 18, but yes, it incorporates that. Salvation. John 3, 15 through 18. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. And everybody can repeat after me. For God so loved the world that the world that He gave His only one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have... I know some of us grew up with King James, so it's a little hard to translate over to NIV, but I love NIV the way it explains things so much better sometimes. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Does God lie? No. God tells us the truth. And He told us this. This truth for eternal salvation to believe in His one only Son. There's many, many ways to salvation being presented in this world today. 
There have always been different ways. But now you see more and more and more, and even within Christian religion, there's many, many ways to salvation. We need to back up from that. There is only one way to salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ, belief in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Healing. I kept thinking, what kind of passage would I use for healing? Because there's absolutely so many of them out there about healing. I don't know about you guys, but I need a dose of healing on a daily basis. Again, it's goal points. Physical, mental, spiritual. Come on, you can do it. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Physical, spiritual, mental, social. Four goal points. Healing. Healing can come in all of those different realms. It's not just physical healing. And sometimes we go, God, I have a broken toe. You didn't heal my broken toe. But what you didn't see was the broken emotion that you had, that you kept with you for years and years that was healed. You don't see that. You don't feel that sometimes. Till later, and then you realize, oh, I was healed of that. We went to camp last week. It was absolutely wonderful. I took both my grandsons, and we had two other boys from our outpost go. We had probably about 170 boys total and about 80 adults. We had service every single night, starting Monday night. And the service started at about 6.45, and we did different things. And then we had preaching, and then we had prayer. We had worship. And sometimes, and Will has been there with me, so he can vouch for some of this. We have altar time. These, sometimes the adults go up because the adults need it. Sometimes the boys go up. Regardless of who goes up, you'll find those young boys from eight years old all the way up to 17, they'll be up praying for the adults and for the boys. And some of these kids have the most powerful prayers. And I'm talking about Holy Spirit filled, laying hands on you, knock you down, healing about just about anything. It is, I have yet to see that kind of service outside of the camps. And we've had it both at our, at our different uh, camping powwows and our summer camps. It's more intense at summer camps. It's just amazing what these kids who are learning about healing and they have no compunction they don't know you know we go in our mind okay it's a broken arm we're not gonna you know we'll pray for it that it'll stop hurting a little bit but we don't think the arm's going to really be healed back together because we're adults that's the way we've been trained kids they have no compunction about that okay let's go heal just amazing 
Just amazing. Let's hope they never lose that. Let's hope they never lose that. So if you want healing, I tell you what, there's several kids back there. You go talk to them about praying for you for healing. I'm not responsible for what's going to happen after that. (laughs) But it'll be wonderful for you. I'll tell you that right up front. 1 Peter 2.24, like I said, it was so hard to find one particular item in this. And it said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He didn't say you will be healed. He says you have been healed. In other words, it's already happened. It's already occurred. It's already done. And there's many ideas about, well, I prayed for my big toe and it didn't get any better. So God didn't heal me. Well, that's not entirely true. You don't know the realm of healing that God is working in with you. You have no idea. I had one boy come up and I said, were you healed of anything? Expecting, you know, a headache or something like that, which happens all the time. I got healed of fear and anger. Like, whoa, where did that come from? I mean, this is an eight-year-old. And you're kind of going, wow, that is totally, totally awesome. For an eight-year-old to understand that and understand he's been healed of it. Has been healed. Has been healed. And then baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's another promise that God has given us. Again, can anybody tell me where we're going for this one? You should be able to know with this one. Acts 2, verses 2 through 4. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what happened, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There's a lot of controversy about baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I equate it to those of you who work with electricity, who have worked with electricity, you think it's some mystical force, which it kind of is, until it bites you. <laughs> then you know it is there. You know it is real. It may be a mystical force, but you know it. <laughs> it's power and intensity because it is physically bit you. I've been bit by electricity before, not like Will, which we're all glad that he's been healed of most of that because, of course, his brain's a little addled, but that's okay. <laughs> he loves me anyway. You can tell. I love him too. But you know it's real. If it's ever happened to you, you know it's real. And these boys last week would go up for infilling of the Holy Spirit and some adults. And they'd come back. They were touched by the power of God. And they knew it. They knew it was real. They will know it's real from that point on. When I was 16, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. For those of you who don't know, Doug and I were very close in high school. And I used to go over to his house. Quite a bit. We used to play ping pong and tennis, and he used to beat me all the time. So if I won one out of 20 games, woohoo, that was great. (laughs) 
But it taught me a lot. And we had spirit-filled meetings with teenagers from all the different churches all around town. That was one of the most wonderful things that a 16-year-old teenager could ever be part of. In that, God gave me several promises and also filled me with the Holy Spirit for the first time. And at that point, for the rest of my life, even when I strayed a little bit, I always knew God was real. The power of the Holy Spirit is real. It never left because I had experienced it. Just like when that electricity hit me, you knew it at that point. It was real. Your mind clamps down on it going, it's not false. This is real. So that's another promise that God has given us. If I go, I will send a comforter to be with you, the Holy Spirit. And he will give you power. And you will do greater things than I have done. Greater things than Jesus? That's another promise. It's happened several places, several people. Does it take faith? No, I found out that you need to be in the right place with the right mind, not, sometimes not even in the right heart, in the right place, that somebody else needs something from God. And all you have to do is say, okay, God, let me do it. Or use me, go through me to work with these other people. That's all it takes is a willing heart. You don't even have to have the right heart half the time. So don't think, I'm not pious enough, I'm not good enough. No. God uses who he will. I have another one that says God uses dwarves as well as giants to do his work. And that's sometimes we feel like our, we're just little dwarves. Not like Gimli and some of the others. I had to put that one in. But because what we do is we don't feel like we're worth anything. And it's not what we do. It's what God does through us. It's still God doing all the work. It's not us. And the last promise I want to talk to you about is a rapture. This is another promise that God has given. And of course, if you look in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, and then verses 50 through 54. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Tells us right up front. Nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you in mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been closed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Another promise of God. We will be with God at some point. No matter how hard this world gets, through the good things we go through, through the bad things we go through, 
hold on to that promise because God does not break his oaths, that we will be with God. We will be with God. And the second part is Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride's beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be at them and be their God. So that is the promise. That is the promise. What we do at camp is we preach on each four of these. Different people preach on each four of these each night for the four nights. And we had the district superintendent of the Assemblies of God preach, Scott Holmes, preach Thursday night. And it's the first time I ever heard this term, but I absolutely love this term that he used because he was preaching on the rapture and did a great job. Evacuation day. That ought to be our key word. Instead of rapture, let's talk about evacuation day. What does evacuation mean? Get away. Yeah, I love it too, Bob. This is great. This is absolutely, and this is a term I think we ought to all just grab onto. Evacuation day. Get away from what's presenting danger to us. Partially this life. Evacuation day. Let's think about one of these days, God's going to say, oh, time to evacuate our people. Go get them. Today would be a great day. Today would be a great day. But only if you've managed to accept the other promises. If you're not one of God's children, it's not going to be evacuation day for you. It's going to be much, much worse. With that, if there are any here who feel like they need first-time salvation or God is calling you to rededicate yourself to God, sometimes we need rededication. It doesn't mean we've lost our salvation. We kind of pushed it off in the background. We need to bring it back up to the forefront of our lives. So if you feel like God is calling you to a rededication of your life, we have Pastor Doug will be willing to pray with you. Or anybody, actually everybody here I've seen is a great prayer warrior, to talk to you about rededicating yourself. Healing. If you feel like you need any kind of healing, come forward to any of these prayer warriors who are out here today. People who love God, they may not be the best person in the world. You might not even really care for them that much. It doesn't matter. God can use them to touch you if it's the right time and right place. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. We all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we're going to make it through this world with any power and be able to feel like we're keeping our head above water.
And then remember evacuation day. At some point, God's going to evacuate us, take us away from this world and into His glorious world. And what we're going to do from there, I don't know. I keep thinking about one of the other passages about Lord of Lords. So if I'm going to be a Lord or a King, that means I've got to be a Lord or a King over something. Maybe He's going to give me a galaxy or even a solar system. I thought that would be really awesome. You know, you never know. You never know. So, let's think about all these things. Open our hearts to what God has for us today. It's never too late to come to God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we speak your truths and your oaths because we know they're true. We ask you to touch each and every one of these hearts. They need healing in some manner. It doesn't matter which manner. But that you heal each and every one of them in the manner that is most wise in your eyes. For you are God. You always speak the truth. You never lie to us. And that we be filled with your Holy Spirit to go out and do your will and your work in this life. Because that's the only way we can truly do your will and your work. And then we... We wait for evacuation day when you'll take us home. And this world and everything here will pass away. And who knows what you have waiting for us that you can't even tell us yet until we are there with you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. If anybody needs prayer, please find somebody to pray with.